Hey everyone, and thanks for joining in on our new podcast, Hypo Hugs, the humanity of hyperinsulinism. We'll cover many topics with a focus on our families, their experiences, as well as some special guests joining us along the way. So whether you're at home cooking dinner, on school run, or in the gym, come join us for some hypo hugs, laughs, cries, and family-friendly chat, all rolled into one. And here's Michelle to kick things off. Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm proud to be co-chair and trustee of the Children's Hyperinsulinism Charity. <laughs> we are privileged to be a support to many families across the UK and Ireland whose children have been diagnosed with the rare condition congenital hyperinsulinism. As a charity, our aim is to raise awareness of hyperinsulinism and hypoglycemia in babies and children amongst the public medical professionals and parents and carers, and to ensure that the correct support is made available at local level to those who are involved in caring for a HI child. We work closely with the NHS England Highly Specialised Hyperinsulinism Services in Manchester Children's Hospital and Alderhey and Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children as well as being aligned to NHS England, which commissions the services. We represent families and discuss policy and patient care, and we collaborate to help improve patient outcomes and long-term management. Our families are our prime focus, and we pride ourselves on listening to their concerns, the problems they face, and try to make a difference. Living with a rare condition has made a massive impact on the family unit. And so we encourage our families by bringing them together for our family conferences and social days. These provide an opportunity to meet other families, share experiences, form friendships, and to give them a little hope that living with a rare condition is manageable, away from the confines of home, and what better support can they have but with other families who just Oh, get and it. we so do. <laughs> we so do. Oh, it. yes. <laughs> There's, not, there's nothing better than finally meeting out just one oh, person, just one person. It's, it's a it welcome takes. relief when you find someone that just <laughs> understands what you're going through. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, due to COVID, we've been unable to provide that same level of support for our families. So we're doing the next best thing and bringing a podcast direct to you Yay! at home. Please enjoy! <laughs> <laughs> To kick things off, we're going to start to share with you um, a little snippet of our own HI journeys. So we'll sort of explain what's happened with regards to our children being diagnosed with hyperinsulinism and where they are today. So Michelle, do you want to kick things off? How did your journey begin? Oh, well, <laughs> my journey began all the way back nine years ago now. My pregnancy was okay um however she always kind of measured large for gestational age um and at one point um her head always measured bigger than the rest of her body so we were um a c-section was planned for her anyway because she just wouldn't turn basically so her head was constantly stuck under my ribs um and it was very uncomfortable <laughs> um and we just um finished work and went on maternity leave and one week into my maternity leave um i thought my waters had broke i went over to the hospital to be checked out and they had a look and it was like they were looking down the Dartford Tunnel with its big industrial torch, <laughs> and um, it 
wasn't very pleasant, I have to say. But they said my waters were bulging and I wasn't going anywhere. And within minutes, um, there was just a lot of hustle and bustle around me. And um, yeah, they were going to do an emergency section. So, um, oh, wow. so yes, yeah, so, so she came at 37 weeks and she was nine pounds, 11 and a half ounces, believe it or not for 37 weeks um, it was uh yeah but now in hindsight looking back you know I mean she measured large so it would have sort of set some alarm bells ringing really with the doctors but you know that they said she was fine when we were back on ward she was a sleepy baby I got told she was a lazy baby (laughs) because she didn't wake and you know she had to be roused to be fed we went home and then six days old in the evening, she just fell blue and lifeless. Her breathing became shallow and raspy and she had like a vacant stare on her face, wouldn't cry. And I phoned for an ambulance straight away. I was really lucky because within four minutes of my call, a paramedic arrived and he knew straight away he arrived in a fast response vehicle and he knew where I had my daughter um she was lying on um like a baby mat on the dining table because I was having to tilt her head back to keep her airways open um yeah and he didn't even get to the dining table because it was at the far end of the house and he walked through the door and straight away he knew he had to phone for ambulance backup and whilst we were there yeah, just having to give us some air. Um, he had to refer to his protocol book. He'd done a blood sugar test, actually, <laughs> um, and which obviously come up very, very low. So he knew that was the problem. And then he had to refer to his um, protocol book to find out how much glucagon to give to her. And mm. even after that, she was her blood sugar reading was only one point something um, in the ambulance um, going to hospital. And I was very, very lucky because um, my local hospital had a clue what they were dealing with. They had already seen the condition before in a handful of cases. So they, the problem was, I mean, they were obviously trying to rule out other things like sepsis and things like that. They had to give her a lumbar puncture. Um, and yeah, and at one point I remember them one, they couldn't get a long line into her. They couldn't find veins to give her to give a long line they wanted to shave her head and I said no but it come to a point where she was she was on like I think 25% dextrose and it was going through a cannula at something like 33 mils per hour but all the time the cannula kept blowing because she was so jittery as well um, so they were like oh, rotating right. the cannula so it was like hand hand foot foot and because she was in an incubator if you can imagine you know in special care you know it's full of tiny tiny babies and she was this nine pound eleven and a half pounds baby in an incubator but because she was so jittery her hands and her feet were constantly you know knocking on the sides and um it kept blowing the cannulas all the time because they sort of couldn't get her under control we had to be sort of transferred to great ormond street in the end and we were there for four weeks i count myself as quite lucky because that's a very short amount of time compared with other children 
um, that have the condition. But um, yeah. yeah, our local hospital sort of thought it was congenital hyperinsulinism, but it was actually Great Ormond Street that confirmed it because they had to do obviously all the tests. And was it a big travel for you? I live two hours away from London. So yeah, you know, I mean, obviously I went in an ambulance mm-hmm. with Eliza. But yeah, yeah, two hours is, you know, a long time traveling in the back of an ambulance. Especially under those conditions, I would have felt like Yeah, delightful. and I, I remember being very, very emotional. So not only have you got, obviously, the pregnancy hormones kicking around, you know, you've got all that trauma that you're having to deal with as well, you know, at nearly losing your child. Because I did get told, actually, that had I not phoned an ambulance and the paramedic didn't arrive as quick as he did, she wouldn't have made that trip to hospital. Um, So we were that close to losing her. So, yeah, so that was really traumatic. Very, very difficult. Very difficult. Definitely lucky the paramedic knew what he was looking at. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't know obviously it was that condition you know he, uh, he'd actually never heard yeah. of the condition but he knew it was just through right. this protocol of how you know it was normal for him to conduct a blood sugar test that obviously that come up really really low so he knew what he had to do and administer glucagon but he'd never administered it before in a in a child that young so he had to work uh-huh. out how much glucagon to give her so um yeah, very he's he's definitely definitely a man to have around. He's a very very fortunate to say he's um, a, a family friend, and I'm still in touch with him to this day. <laughs> oh, that's, what, that's yeah. lovely. To hear. <laughs> so that's where our journey began with um, hyperinsulinism, and um, yes, but I'm happy to share the rest of my story actually um, in the weeks to come on the the other podcasts because there's probably so much to discuss <laughs> definitely definitely we're yeah, looking forward to hear the rest of of your story and the rest yeah. of Eliza's story and what about you where did where did your journey start with hyperinsulinism I've got a two-year-old son he has hyper hyperinsulinism but my story actually starts before he was born because I myself have got a genetic condition. So all through my pregnancy, I was very closely Mm -hmm. monitored because if my blood levels were at a certain point, it would be damaging for the baby. So I had to be monitored on a close... It's not hyperinsulinism or anything like that. It's completely separate issue. So I was on a strict, strict regime of what I had to do through my pregnancy. So... I knew if I stuck to this, everything right. will be fine. That's what I got drummed <laughs> into my head since I was about five or six <laughs> or something. And then Finn uh, was born. He was born in breached position. He was 39 weeks and four days. Uh, so it, it was a good weight. Eight, oh, nine, I think it was. But he came out <laughs> in his toes. Had it. So yeah, he, um, because of that, his hips, um, it had. Is it hip dysplasia? Yeah, dysplasia. <laughs> yes, thank you. On both hips, he had that. So he had to wear a harness for um, the first ten Aww. to twelve weeks of his life. 
after the birth, I got taken up to the ward and everything was fine, or so we thought. Three hours later, um, a nurse came in and she took his blood sugars because he wasn't feeding and his eyes were fluttering. But no one had said anything to us at all. Like It seemed very hush-hush at the time. And they just took him away. They said, oh, we're just taking him for a few tests. We'll bring him back. We were sitting there for three hours not knowing where he was. At that point, I'd, I'd had an epidural, so yeah, I was getting out. Like, <laughs> face out. Yeah, I was like, what's happening here? Your legs are all numb. So three hours later, um, we were like, right, what's actually happening yeah. here? Where's our son? And it turned out he was actually down in the NICU. And when we got down to see him, he was hooked up to multiple IVs all over him. It was in an incubator. And it was in a room full of very, very early born babies, full term baby, really early. Was like he's not supposed yeah. to be in there. <laughs> so obviously, because of everything um, that had been drilled into my head, yeah. I just broke down. I was like, "This isn't supposed to happen. It's not supposed yeah. to happen to me." And then we got the diagnosis from our specialist that he had oh. hyperinsulinism. So they, the specialists, knew what they were dealing with, did they? They had they come across it before then? Yes, they had. The specialist in Glasgow um, had had a number of um, patients before. So, yeah, he um, he came down and. We now see him on a th- every, every six months with the endocrine nurse, a dietitian, and um, every mm-hmm. second six months, um, and Dave from Manchester yeah. comes up. So they've got a well structured yeah. team within Glasgow. The support that they have given us since day one has been, I can't thank them enough for all yeah. the hard work that they do, especially. Um, I mean, we were in NICU for nine weeks and it was just absolutely, it was the worst time of my life. I'm pretty sure every single person who's listening to this is like, exactly what you've been in. It is, it's horrendous. I mean, I remember I I refused to leave my daughter at our local hospital and I I thought I'm, I'm not leaving her side and I wasn't able to hold her because of the rate of dextrose, the percentage and the um, of dextrose mm. that she was being given and the rate at which she was being given I was mm-hmm. so frightened to hold her and even they said that I had to be very very careful and it was like limited amount of contact I could have with her it was just awful so I felt as though I didn't have that initial bond with her um, but I used to just sit in mm-hmm. a chair um, because obviously in the special care unit you know there's no beds in the little rooms <laughs> and you know it was just a, like an armchair I they brought in for me and I just sat there with a thick cardigan on at the time and just bawled like a baby <laughs> and actually I was very lucky because there was an the special care unit where where she was they have two parent rooms and one became available but it only had a single bed in um, but there was another parent right um, who had a double bed and because me and my partner at the time were, were sort of both there we were both able to stay so this woman gave up the double bed oh, so we could good. have the the double room 
oh, which was nice. Um, but like I said, it, that was only for six days and then we were transferred for, to Great Ormond Street. Our hospital had exactly the same, but the only time we were actually allowed to stay overnight in the hospital, sleeping-wise, was the last few days of before your child got released. So just to make sure that you knew yeah, how to yeah. look after your child. So we got one of these rooms and we were, I think it was like week eight, we got this room oh. and we got very excited. It's like, <laughs> oh, we're really cold, really cold. But every other family that we saw were in those rooms were only in there for about one or yeah. two days and they were gone. We were yeah. for a week and a half and it was just getting so frustrating. It was, why are we still here? We, we get on here a week ago. It got so frustrating, even for the on-call doctors because yeah. are they still here? Are they still here? But... It's just Finn's and, blood sugars were just and up and down. And I think that's the thing, because obviously they can't discharge without knowing that those le blood sugar levels are under control and can be managed. And exactly from what mm -hmm. I remember with my daughter, it was um, it was horrendous. She, you know, obviously when she was born, you know, I was feeding her. And then she went to nil by mouth and then then feed was started again. And then obviously having to monitor his sugar levels to see what they were doing sort of with feeding. And then we were transferred to Great Ormond Street. And I remember within a few hours of arriving at Great Ormond Street, she had to be nil by mouth before we even got there because within a few hours she was down in theatre having a Hickman line put in. So she had to be nil by mouth again for that. And then obviously... Once that was sorted and she was up on the dextrose again and, you know, trying to manage feeds again. Actually, before we come on here, I was telling you about um, some photographs I found um, on my old laptop. And I come across one and I have to find it and post it in the support group. But the speech and language therapist wanted me to try. They wanted her to go back to nil by mouth and try this new bottle. And it's called a Haberman bottle. And the tea on it is like a cow's udder. It's massive. <laughs> and, um, and I found a photograph <laughs> of it. And even to this day, I just think, oh, no, why would you give that to a baby? Why would you give that to a baby? It was just horrendous. So I'm, I'm going to have to find it and put it in the support group just, just for giggles. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was just horrendous. And um... Finn, he has feeding issues as well at the start it was really strange he would take yeah. milk from a bottle he would put, take about 30 mils obviously that wasn't yeah. enough he um, got uh, an ng tube placed and i always remember the first time they changed the ng tube they actually told us to leave because it would be too upsetting for us to uh, see the ng tube get placed it's just funny thinking back to that he had his ng tube in for two years and it was us that had to deal with it. And it was yeah. us that had to place it in. So it's just funny thinking back, yeah, you're not yeah. allowed to see this, to yeah. deal with and everything I, of it. And, and I think that's because, I do think that's because um, sort of hospitals try to minimise that trauma for parents. But actually there comes a time you yeah. have to learn how to sort of change the NG tube yourself. So, exactly. Um, yeah at, at the start I, I couldn't do it on my own I had to get um, my partner yeah. to um, to help me but it actually got difficult he was at work and if his NG tube came yeah. out himself I was stuck yeah I would have to do it myself so 
got to the point I had to swaddle them up tight and just kind of yeah. go for it. It's yeah. horrendous. Yeah. You know, what us parents have to sort of learn and go through and, you know, adapt to because it's a completely different oh. way of life for us isn't it and it, it has exactly um, it has extreme effects on sort of home life and relationships and you know work life and things like that as well it's all a big learning curve isn't it for every yeah. parent definitely a different learning curve than the one you yeah, actually thought yeah, you were going to be going on and there's a good poem about that isn't it it's uh, welcome to holland yes <laughs> we have a print out of that yeah, we've yeah, we've got it sitting yeah, in our living room. It's true. You know, you find yourself you're going on one journey, and then it takes you off in a different direction. You know, it is what it is, and yep. I'm really, I'm really thankful actually because I've met so many wonderful people actually over the last nine years. You know, not just through the support group, but through my daughter's school as well, um, because she goes to a special needs school. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's really really nice how you know you can lose friendship but but also develop new friendships as well and yeah they're precious for ones that just actually understand it and get it and know exactly what you're going through I don't think you can beat that yeah that, that support is so important I've always thought yeah. things happen for a reason because of me and my condition I've um I believe that I was supposed to get my condition develop the skills that I've learned over the years in dealing with that to be able to deal with yeah. Finn and his condition this is why I volunteered to help with the podcast yeah. I just wanted to help yeah and it's, give it's back great in a way to have you on board and I think that's the good thing about the charity as well that it's it's parent-led it's all parents who have children with hyperinsulinism mm -hmm. at various stages of their life and the journey and I think that's mm -hmm. what makes us so unique in a way that we do we just yeah. totally get it and we fight for one another and you know what's important for parents as well so, so we'd like to thank everyone for listening to our very yes, first episode of hypo hubs us. we it's hope you enjoy <laughs> we had fun making it <laughs> if you want to contact us in any way uh, just get in touch via the charity's Facebook page, Children's right. Hyperinsulinism UK. And yeah, lovely. Thank you for joining us, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.